Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So I wanted to read the passage John tw- in John 21 in the message version. That's Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage, and I really love the way that he puts it. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through 14, and it goes like this. After, Jesus, after this, Jesus appeared to the disciples, this time at the uh, Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the brothers Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out and got into the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, nope. He said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did it. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes for he was stripped for work and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread already cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had showed himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. Such good news for us this morning. Such good news. In other places in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, Paul said that Jesus, the post-resurrection Jesus, made a public appearance to over 500 people at the same time. One of my favorite stories, and it is my favorite post-resurrection story, but the Lord says preach on this this morning, so we're going to preach on this. But my favorite one is the road to Emmaus. You know the one where there's two guys walking along the road, and a third joins them, and Jesus keeps his presence from them somehow, how that works, and they don't recognize it's him, and they share a meal together, and after the meal, the disciples say, say weren't our hearts burning within us? As he, un, uh, as he revealed the gospel to them through the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is popping up in different places. He's appearing to the people that he loves. And there's a couple of things that I want us to see this morning in this story, and I believe that God wants us to see this morning. And they're really simple things, and hopefully we'll move through them pretty quickly. But the first is that Jesus showed up. He appeared. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. He spent 40 days from his resurrection on earth to his ascension. And during this time, he eased his followers' doubts and gave them direction for the future. He showed up, and he did that in such a wonderful way. He did it in a way that's so Jesus, in a way that models humility for us. 
Look in 21 verse 4. Here he is showing up. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He showed up. And then in the verse that we went over in Visio, when they landed, verse 9, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish already on it and some bread. So the fish that Jesus guides the disciples to, I think of him like a fly fishing guide, you know, that's all that's going on here. They were fishing in the wrong spot. An experienced fly fishing guide can put you on the best spots where the best fish are. And actually, this wasn't in an uncommon um, occurrence back in first century Israel or Palestine for a buddy to stand on the shore and another to be waist deep waiting with a net, a cast net, ready to go. And the buddy on shore would say, not there, there. He sees disturbance on the water, cast over there, not there. And so this wouldn't have been uncommon, but they don't recognize who Jesus is. And the part that I love about Jesus showing up is that he's washed Peter's feet. He's washed Thomas's feet in a sign of humility. He's called Peter out of the boat to walk on the water. He's journeyed all of this, even going to the cross humbly, not a victim, giving himself up, losing his life. And here in the post-resurrection Jesus, we see humility again, a consistent display, right? Because the fish that the disciples uh, drugged to the shore were not the main menu item. They were simply adding to the fish that Jesus has already prepared them with. Jesus, again, taking the form of a servant, says, I've got the meal covered for you. Those of you who, have, who entertain, who have people over to your house, uh, know that, yeah, you love to cook. It's a labor of love, though. That's an act of service to prepare food for someone else other than yourself. Just the act of having the fish already burning on the coals models Jesus' humility once again. So he's not only washing the feet of Peter, he's not only restoring him here at the end of the passage, but he's also serving him breakfast. And I love that about Jesus. I love that he's resurrected from the grave. And in our minds and in our Western minds today, we would be like, okay, let's get together a marketing campaign Let's, because uh, as many people as there are on the earth need to hear about this. Let's go to the most powerful political figures and get this, get this news to them so that they can get it out to the masses. Let's spread the word on social media. Let's get it out there. Jesus is raising from the dead. And Jesus is just like in the most non-rock star way. He's like, hey, who's up for a barbecue on the beach? It doesn't make any sense. He doesn't shout it to the masses. He goes to his seven closest friends and he's like, here I am, I'm with you. In your doubt, in your uncertainty, with all of the questions, here I am. Let's have some fish. So beautiful, so beautiful. It shows the most ordinary, in the most ordinary way That Jesus is with us in the ordinary things, the mundane things. 
And whether or not, you know, Peter's running from calling, you know, some theologians or commentators will say, well, he just went back to what he was doing because there was no hope. Jesus wasn't around, and so he'll just go back to his livelihood. Whether that's the case, or like, I'm a fisherman. I'm like, sometimes you just got to get out and fish, you know. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's, maybe, maybe it's a, a positive. Maybe, you know, Jesus raises from the dead. There's all this uncertainty. We're left with Peter denying Jesus three times and no word spoken, but between the two of them. I mean, Peter's been in the tomb. He's been in the empty tomb. The women came back and they said, Peter, John, come with us. And he's been in the empty tomb. He's seen the linen that was, you know, Jesus took time to fold the linen before he left. Ever think about that? So weird, right? The linen is folded. Mary taught him well, Christy says. Amen. It takes time to say, hey, before I'm truly resurrected, let's just fold the linen and lay it neatly in the corner there. (laughs) Really well done. Peter's been in there. He's seen that. Maybe it's in the positive. Maybe he's like, you know, Jesus is alive and I've got to raise some money to fund this mission. And so I'm going to do that the best way I know how. And I'm going to take these guys fishing. You know, you don't, we don't know. You can't judge Peter's heart in saying that like, oh, he's just going, he's, he's escaping. Fishing is a form of escapism for Peter in the passage. We don't know that. Only, only Peter knows at the end of the day why he said, let's go fishing. And the other disciples said, we're, going, we're coming with you. But there they are, in the middle of the night, and the sun rises, and no luck. No luck. Furthermore, on this passage, some prosperity teachers will teach, along with the earlier scene of when Peter is first called. Remember, this isn't something new to the disciples. They've seen this before. They've seen this before. Early in the Gospels, the disciples are called out of their way of life into following Jesus, into a new way of life, a new way of living. And there's a net-breaking catch. This time, the net doesn't break. The first time they're called into it, it's reminiscent of this earlier Gospel scene. They fish all through the night. They don't catch anything. The guide, Jesus, who they don't recognize, is standing on the shore, and he says, not over there, over here, and they start to haul in fish. They start to haul in fish, and through the ages, prosperity teachers have used this passage to say, hey, just follow Jesus, and you'll have a net full of fish. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and happy. I don't think that's what the passage is trying to show us here, although there is an element of following Jesus will lead to blessing in your life, although that blessing may not look like a net full of fish at times, following Jesus will always lead to blessing because he is the blessing. So we're not saying that. The whole point of this message isn't to say like, hey, cast your net where Jesus tells you and you're going to be super wealthy. See, look what happened to the disciples. That's not the point here. I think the point is that Jesus showed up. The point is Jesus showed up. He proves again that he's God with us, regardless of whether the net is full or empty. The second point is that Jesus modeled community. Jesus modeled community. And this is consistent. How many invitations? Jesus is always giving invitations in his life. Invitations to know him, to see him, to be with him. It's always come closer, not stay away. And in verses 10 and 12... 
We read this. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew it was Jesus. An invitation of God is unmistakable here. Where they didn't recognize him before when he was far off, now that they're up close, they realize that it's him. It's the master. Because Jesus is always ushering us closer. Jesus is always inviting us into relationship, into community. From breaking bread on the road to Emmaus, to having breakfast on the beach with his disciples, Jesus makes time for relationships. And that's what we need to hear. Jesus always has time for relationships. There's never a point in which you will hear the voice of God say to you, I'm sorry, we're a little, the Trinity, we're a little busy right now. If you just take a number, you know at Jaworski's they still have, the, at the butcher they still have the numbers that you take and they call it out. Jesus isn't like Jaworski's, although that meat is really great. He's not going to call you to take a number and stand in line. Jesus always makes time for relationships. How many times through the Gospels do we read simple phrases like Jesus stopped, Jesus saw, Jesus waited? You know, all these phrases revealing the character of God, who the Father is. Because if Jesus is like this, and we know that Jesus is a spitting image of the Father, then the Father is like this, and the Father always has time for you. There's never a time where the Father shoes you away or he's too busy at work to pay attention to you. Jesus always makes time for relationship. Always, always, always. He wasn't too busy to stop and show that he cared. And has his followers were called to intentionally serve people in our families, our workplaces, in our city the same way. Because ministry is very inconvenient. It's the nature of service. Ministry, a fancy word for service. It always comes to us, ministry or service, at the expense of me time, at the expense of my own time, my own resources, my own family. And the same for you. Ministry happens in inconvenience. But don't you know that's where we find the good stuff of life? How many times have you been like, ugh, I don't want to go to small group tonight. Ugh, I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to serve the poor today. Ugh, I don't want to go to see to vote. It always is accompanied with that growl, isn't it? Ugh. If it's accompanied by the growl, you can pretty much bet that there's a ministry opportunity on the other side of it. <laughs> Uh, it's that. Uh. And I know it too. I'm not exempt from this. We all deal with it. I don't know about you, but those are the times when that growl happens. Those are the times when I'm blessed the most. When I just decide to say, yeah, this is going to be tough. Yeah, this is going to cost me. It's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me time. going to cost me resources. And I just do it. On the other side of it, how good do you feel? Yeah, like every time. And maybe not immediately, because ministry isn't always immediate gratification. It's a marathon, not a sprint. 
But there is blessing on the other side of it. Ministry may be inconvenient, but there is blessing on the other side of it. And that's what I believe Jesus is modeling here for us once again in community, in the supreme value that he puts on doing life together. Again, not with the masses. He may have appeared to 500 at once, but he shared a meal with his seven closest. There's a Eucharistic thing that's happening here too in the way that he breaks the bread and he hands it out. And I know fish wasn't on the menu as you received communion this morning, but it is Eucharistic in the way that the gospel lays it out. He's like, here, share some bread. He breaks it. He's symbolic of his body on the cross. And then, he, and then he shares fish with his friends. There's this element of like receiving in the resurrection after Jesus has died and risen from the grave. That's just beautiful here. That he does most every time when he shows up after he's risen from the dead. And I love that about him. He's still modeling. So Jesus showed up. He modeled community. And lastly, Jesus comforted the broken. And for that, we see verse 17. And we're not going to head too, too far into it this morning. But in 21.17, we find that Jesus is asking Simon for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then we read that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. When Jesus came back, he wasn't frustrated that his disciples hadn't understood his plan. There's a compassion with which Jesus views us with. There's a compassion with which the Father views us with. God's not frustrated in our uncertainty. God's not frustrated that we don't pick up on his plan right away. Trust me, this is, someone, this is coming from someone who's not the smartest tool in the shed. God needs like 800 times to get simple truths through to drop down from my heart, from my head to my heart. He's not frustrated with you this morning that you're not getting it. Ugh, why aren't those people smarter? Ugh, why aren't they more resilient? That's not the Father's heart. He sees us with compassion, even when we don't get it. Even when we're the last to get it. We may spend our whole lives not getting it. And Jesus' compassion with which he views us with is unwavering unwavering. It's like he doesn't even, it's like he doesn't even pick up on it. He's like, I don't even want to see that. Yeah, you may be frustrated that you're not getting it, but, but I'm not frustrated with you because you're not getting it. I love that about him, how he comforts us and he redeems our mistakes. And instead of like being frustrated with us, he meets us right in the middle of uncertainty and fear. He meets us right there. Doesn't give up on us. Doesn't get angry with us. Meets us right in the middle of it. And we see this by the way that he consoled after he rose from the, rose from the grave. We see this by the way he consoled the women at the tomb. Fear not. By the way he eased Thomas's doubts when he says, stick your finger here. 
He spoke words of life and peace to them, not frustration and anger. And today, our Savior still has grace for our questions and confusions. He still draws near when our hearts are broken. And that's what I want us to hear. Especially when our hearts are broken. When there's disappointment. When we've lost someone we love. When we just don't get why these things are happening to us. When a son or daughter walks away from Jesus. When we find ourselves in the throes of addiction again. When we fall into habitual sin. Jesus meets us even there and comforts us and says, no, son, no, daughter, there's a better way. He draws us to a better way. And there's grace there for when our hearts are broken. And good old Peter, this whole thing could just be a slideshow on Peter's life, couldn't it? I love Peter. Any Peter fans out there? My gosh. Oh, Peter, this guy, he denied knowing Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And here in this exchange, we can kind of see it happening. Can you see it happening like on the shore, like Jesus is cooking fish for the group and then maybe they've eaten and um, satisfied some of their hunger and, and Jesus kind of pulls Peter aside and so this is a private moment between friends. And with all this history in the relationship, Peter denying that he even knew his friend three times. After breakfast, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Three times denied, three times questioned. Do you love me? No, 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 Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter's getting frustrated at this point. You can see him. I love how Peter is portrayed in the miniseries, The Chosen. You know, he's a, he's a straight-up brawler. And I can picture Peter getting upset here, like, I told you I loved you. What? Like, come on. <laughs> he's ready. He's ready to come to blows with the, with the guy who's asking him, with the God of the universe. Peter, do you love me? In this exchange, we see Jesus restoring his friend, forgiving his sin. The three denials are wiped away, washed away. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, when I called you and you brought in the fish, the net broke. But can't you see now, Peter, you're not the denier. When I called you this time, the, fi- the net was so full of fish, yet it didn't break. And didn't I call you the rock on which the church would be founded? That net didn't break. Look how many fish have come. Look how many people. Look how many nationalities. Look how many ethnicities. Look how many socioeconomic groups that the church will bring in. In the name of Jesus, the net didn't break. And Peter, you are the rock on which the church will be formed through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven. 
Isn't that beautiful? You see that in the pages of Scripture? The net doesn't break. The church is, is malleable enough and flexible enough, and the church has is, is got all kinds of space to fit all different types of species of fish. 153 different species, maybe? Sure. And Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Bring him in. It's time. And you all know the outcome of Peter's life. Peter was crucified during the reign of Nero, hung on a cross upside down, faithful to the end. Gave his life. Gave his life. Something about this exchange. Do you think, do you think Peter, the question here in my heart this week was like, do you think Peter would have been able to go to the cross under Nero if Jesus hadn't have had that exchange with him after his resurrection? I know it's a hypothetical. Think about it for a minute. The release that Jesus gives him in this moment frees him to a life of submittedness before his Lord. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't even know the man. Po- uh, post- during the crucifixion, was Peter ready to go to his own cross? Probably not. He acted like he didn't even know Jesus. Here on the beach, as Jesus forgives him, pardons him, sets him free, we see this empowering of Peter as the rock of the church through the through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It empowers him so much so that he lives his life in faithful service to Jesus, ending up on a cross upside down during the reign of Nero for the cause of Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, what Jesus is saying here is that even though you stumbled into your faith, Peter, and even though you denied me, it didn't cancel your identity in knowing me. And in the same way, we can trust God's power is made perfect in our weakness too. 